Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Grace City Church podcast. If you would like more info on our church, you can visit gracecityboston.com. Now let's get to the sermon. Like I said, my name is Cohen. I'm the college pastor here at Grace City. And if you've been with us for the past five weeks, we've been talking about our identity in Christ, this I am series or this we are series. Uh, yeah, you guys can go ahead and be seated. Um, and this series has sort of been built around, uh, in my opinion, two really key questions here. And these two questions are, who are you and what are you doing here? That's what I think of when I think of what is my identity? Those are the two questions we're, we're answering here. Who are you and what are we doing here? Uh, so why is this important? Why do we need to understand our identity in Christ? Well, there's two really prevalent reasons right now, I think, in our culture why we need to understand our identity in Christ. Uh, there's an identity language phenomenon sort of spreading our culture right now. People identify as so many things, so many different ways. Uh, I, I really am just seeing people are striving to craft their own identity um, by any means possible. You guys still hear me? We're good? And so I think now more than ever, it's a very crucial time to have answers to these questions. Who are you and what are you doing here? And we need to answer those with Christ-centered answers. I'm going to move some of my stuff around here. There's papers blowing everywhere. Okay, so if you were to ask a person, just your average Bostonian, you just go up to them and say, who are you? They'll probably say their name, and then you'd be like, yeah, but who are you? And you do that whole deeper question thing. The first thing they'll probably say is what they do for a living. They'll probably say, I'm a student, or I'm a nurse, financial advisor, I'm in sales, I work in retail, something like that. That's probably what they'll say. Or they may say what they are to their family. I'm a wife, husband, you know, son, daughter, brother, something like that. They may say, I'm a Democrat, Republican, sports fan, I run marathons, I'm in a band. Something like this is the first thing that someone would say to describe who they are. And I want to identify two key problems with these types of earthly identities. Not that there's something inherently wrong with them, but if this is as deep as we can get in terms of declaring our identity, who we are, there's a problem. There's two key problems. First problem is that they're not permanent. You're not born with these identities and you most likely won't die with these identities. And even if you live your whole life with these identities, you're not gonna carry them with you. They're not eternally part of who you are. And the second problem with these earthly identities, if, the, if that's as deep as we can go, as far as our identity, our identity goes, the second problem here is that they're not comprehensive. These identities do not affect and infect every single part of who you are. Okay, you don't treat every person in light of the fact that you're a nurse or a student or a Republican or a Democrat, or at least I hope you don't. You know, these, pro these, these identities are not comprehensive. They don't affect every sphere of your life. And so that, that kind of leaves a gap. There's some core, more foundational identity that's left to be had. And so that's why we're talking about identity. And so uh, today, this is the last week of our series. So I kind of want to just wrap, wrap this up and put a bow on it. And I want to acknowledge the, uh, basically what we've been saying every single week. So if you've been following along with us, we've, we've talked about a lot of different ways we can see our identity in Christ. We talked about how we're children of God. If, the, if we're in Christ, we're children of God. We talked about how we're alien to this world because we're citizens of God's kingdom. 
We talked about how we're gifted by the Spirit to reflect God out to the world. We talked about how we're new creations in Christ. And all of these have the same consistent message, is that you are created or recreated to reflect God to the world and to the on you. What is a child but a reflection of the father that raised them? What is a good citizen other than a reflection of the king that they love and obey? What is someone who is gifted by the Spirit of God to reflect God to the world? That one's just blatant. These are all different ways of saying you are created or recreated by God to reflect God to those around you, believers and non-believers. And so today, our passage in uh, 2 Corinthians, if you have your Bibles, you can flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you don't have your Bibles uh, and you have that QR code, all the sermon notes uh, are on there and they have all the scripture that you need in there. Our passage in 2 Corinthians seeks to answer these two questions. Who are you and what are you doing here? Okay. So we talked about if you ask someone, who are you, what they would say. If you ask someone the second question, what are you doing here? What is your purpose? You get a lot of weird answers. I, I think you can categorize the answers that you'll get into two different ways. You can get a really vague answer or really hopeless answer. If you ask someone, what is your purpose? You may get a vague answer like this. You may get, your purpose is to do what makes you happy. Your purpose is to live your truth. Something like that. These are really popular kind of pithy statements that people say all the time, but I think they're really vague and they don't actually help anybody. And people don't actually live these out. Nobody is always doing what makes them happy. Nobody is always making up their own truth to live by. Nobody, nobody lives these out, even though they're very popular statements. Or you may get a hopeless answer to this question. What is your purpose? You may get someone who's really confident and says, we can't know our purpose. It's impossible. It's impossible to know. Or you'll get someone who's really confident and says, we know for a fact we have no purpose. We're just life forms that evolved over billions of years and out of stardust and we have no purpose and we're just aimless beings going towards nothing. But there's one main problem with these claims is that once again, nobody lives by them. Everybody feels that there's some inherent purpose that they need to live their life in accordance with, whether they need to find it or be told it Everybody sort of lives with this assumption that we all have this purpose to look out for one another, to live a certain way. Everybody understands this. It's hardwired into us. And this is a claim of the Bible, that we have a desire to live for something bigger than ourselves because we were created with a distinct purpose to glorify God on this earth. We desire purpose because we were designed with purpose, but since we have run from it by our sin, purpose feels a little bit foreign to us. It's like something we must create or find on our own. But Paul's going to tell us in our passage here in 2 Corinthians how Jesus restores our purpose. So if you have your scripture, your sermon notes open, we're going to start in chapter 5, verse 14. Let me pray before we uh, read our scripture today. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for your word that we can sit and learn. Father, we pray that your spirit would be present here today as we solidify what our identity is in you. I pray that we would all leave here having learned something, having grown in love for you, Father. Speak through your word today and change us as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14, going through 21. 
Paul says, for the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Question one, who are you? Paul answers this question by saying you are a new creation reconciled to God. That is foundationally, if you are a believer here, if you are in Christ, that is the most foundational identity you can ever have. You are a new creation in Christ reconciled to God. Let's reread 17 through 19 here as we focus on this first point. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What does reconciliation mean? What does it mean to be reconciled? Well, Paul is clearly implying that there was a need to be reconciled before God did such a thing. To be reconciled means to be restored to favor. It implies that at one point, you were out of favor. You were not in a place of favor with God. Clearly, if you had to be reconciled, that's what was going on. And this wasn't that God abandoned us, but that we abandoned him. This is the essence of sin, living a life with an apathy or a rejection of God while trusting in yourself or the things of the world. And that's what we as humans did. That is the essence of sin. That is why we needed to be reconciled. Paul says God has done the work to reconcile us. God brings us back. He reconciles us through Christ. Romans 5.8 says that God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God reconciled us not because we recognized we were wrong and we came back and he said, okay, fine, I'll reconcile with you. Jesus voluntarily chose to give his life for you. He sought us out. He initiated the reconciliation. This is key to understanding uh, this idea that Paul's trying to get across here of reconciliation. Okay, so the language that Paul is using here when he says reconciliation, when this word was normally used in ancient Greek culture, this language was used to describe a nation reaching out to an enemy nation, trying to make a peace treaty. So get this imagery in your head, okay? This is peace treaty language. Okay, um, think about a nation with a really good king and his residents, his citizens, decide to rebel against him and go start their own nation or join an enemy nation. And then that king loved that people so much that rebelled against him, he laid his life down to go get you back from the other nation. He didn't build up another army to go take you out. 
he did everything possible to go into that enemy territory and lay his life down to bring you back. This is the, the imagery, this is the picture that Paul is painting here when he's using this language, when he's talking about reconciliation, okay? This is peace treaty language, okay? And there's a switch here, okay? There's a key idea here that Paul talks about all the time, that God doesn't save you just to leave you somewhere, just take you out of harm's way. He saves you to change you, okay? He's not just, he's not just reconciling you to say, okay, now you're free from hell, you're free from punishment, and then you just sit there all nice. He's bringing you back onto his team, okay? This is what Paul means when he says that we're ambassadors for him. So this is the switch. He's switching us from an enemy to an ally, from a competitor to a partner, from dead to a new creation. This is the flip. This is the switch. Who are you? You are a new creation, reconciled to God. In Romans 8, chapter, Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, Paul says, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who, for us, who is against us? He who did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him grant us everything? What kind of king does this? Who seeks after those who rebel against him, who offend him, and seeks out reconciliation with them so fiercely to the point of laying his own life down for his people. Only a perfect king is like this. This is our king. When we talked about being citizens of the kingdom of God, this, this is our king. This is who we are citizens of. This is who we obey. This is who we follow. A king who gives his life to reconcile his people back to himself. So who are you? You are a new creation reconciled to God. Our second question here, what are you doing here? It's just as important as the first question, who are you? Because what you do with your life is intrinsically tied to who you are. You live out who you are. This is the external question. If the first one was an internal question, this one is an external question. Let's reread verses 20 and 21 here. Paul says, therefore, therefore, since you are reconciled to God, since he proved his love for you in that way, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That phrase there in verse 20, that since God is making his appeal through us, that is a wild thought, that God chooses the rebels that oppressed him and his people and rejected him, us sinners, he chooses us sinners to make his appeal to the world to be saved. He saves us so that we can take the message of salvation to other people. God doesn't need us to do this. He doesn't need us to do this. And we'll talk more about that in a second. Just think about how wild that idea is that the rebels are chosen not just, he doesn't just go and free the rebels and save them from our, the enemy nation basically that we've joined. But he says, I want you back on my team. I want you on my side. I created you in my image so that you may partner with me. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to achieve that goal almost whether you like it or not. I'm going to work through people. I'm going to do that. 
So we talked about reconciliation. We really fine-tuned that point here. The second word we really need to understand here is the word ambassador. What do you think of when you think of an ambassador? Probably think of some really high up, important person working for some government, travels to all these different places. That's basically what Paul's talking about here. It's, it's pretty much the same word. This is employment language. He's giving you a job, almost. He's saved you to re-employ you as his partner, as his ambassador. The word ambassador, it means an official representative of the utmost caliber. You can't become a, a, a more important representative of your kingdom than an ambassador. You're the first in line to go to enemy countries or to neighboring countries with important messages. Hey, join us in this. Be reconciled with us. Hey, we're going to go to war with you if you don't do this. Hey, they could kill me for this message. This is, you're on the front lines. He's employed us sinners to do this work with him by his grace. You've been recruited by salvation to take the gospel to those around you. The good news that you have received, that you're reconciled to God and you are a new creation, that is the same message that you are now employed to take to the world. If Paul was comforting us by saying that we're reconciled, he's challenging us in the same breath by saying, since you're reconciled, go and pull others into this reconciliation. Go do this. God has employed you to do this. And sometimes that's hard. You're probably thinking, okay, people have been telling me this for a long time. I just don't know how to do it. Sometimes it's hard. Some people, some people ask you about Christ because you're living it out in such a way where they're just like, what is that? Tell me about it. Sometimes that happens. A lot of times you try to start conversations about Christ. Okay? A key thing we need to be doing as believers is praying for gospel conversations in our lives so that we can live this out, so that we can share the gospel with those that we love, that we live with, that we go to class with, go to work with. We need to be praying for opportunities to share the good news that we have received with these people. This is what we are recruited, employed to do by God. This is part and parcel with our reconciliation. You're reconciled to bring others into reconciliation. Now maybe if I say this is a job, you immediately start to get worried or start to think of reservations that you have. You're like, Cohen, I'm a student and I have all these classes and I have a part-time job in the cafeteria. I have no more time. Or maybe you're saying I work 70 hours a week. I don't need another job. Thank you very much. You know, um, this is not like other jobs, clearly. One way it's not like other jobs is that you're always on the clock. You're never not working. And that doesn't sound very good, but again, this isn't like other jobs because this work gives you rest. You're always on the clock, but this is work that gives you rest. What I was talking about at the beginning, how earthly identities are not comprehensive. They don't affect every area of your life. This is what I mean when you're always on the clock. You are an ambassador for Christ to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers, to your classmates. You're always on the clock. This core foundational identity in Christ that you are reconciled and that you are employed to go reconcile others is part of how you treat every single type of person in all ways and all places. This is core to who you are. This work is not like other jobs because you are always on the clock, but this work gives you rest. 
You don't have to struggle between two different types of identities. You don't have to be a person at church with your Christian friends. And then when you're at school and work, figure out what kind of other person you want to be. You don't have to be pulled apart by these two identities, ripping you at the seams, thinking, how do I balance all these different parts? How do I make these people like me and these people like me and get this and this? You can just be free in the fact that you have a core identity in Christ that affects how you treat everyone in all ways, in all places, at all times. So you may be thinking right now, how am I supposed to do this on my own? So I come to church and I sit down and I learn these things and then I go back to school and I'm like, but I don't really know how to do this. Or I go back to my office and I'm like, I don't know how to do this. Or I go back to my family and I'm like, I don't know how to do this. How am I supposed to do this on my own? The simple answer to that question is you're absolutely not supposed to do this on your own. How do we know this? The Great Commission, the very last verses in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came near to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a very popular verse, okay? If you've grown up in church or if you've been a Christian for maybe a, a year or two, you've probably heard this verse, the Great Commission. Famous uh, theologian Dallas Willard looks at the last part of this when Jesus says, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. It says, that is the great omission of the Great Commission. People always remember that Jesus said, go make disciples, go baptize them and teach them but they always forget that there's a promise tied to these things. Jesus says, when you're doing this, I'll be right there with you. So even if you're by yourself with no one else around, you're not alone. You're not supposed to do this alone. It was never a plan for you to do such a thing alone. Remember, Jesus is with you to the end of the age. What's the very next thing he says in the book of Acts chapter 1? picks up right where the Gospels left off. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. The disciples are talking to him after he's resurrected, and they're asking him, what's going to happen now? Is Israel going to take back political power? Is the Roman Empire going to go away? Are we going to be back in control? That's what your kingdom is, about, is like, right? That's, what we, that's the power we need, right? We need political power. The Roman Empire needs to go away. That's how we're going to accomplish this thing, right, Jesus? Jesus doesn't agree with the disciples here. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 8. While Jesus was with the disciples, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John the Baptist baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus, Jesus answers their inquiry by saying, It's not about po politics and kingdoms and earthly rule, rulers and things like that. It's not about that. My kingdom's not like that. It says, you're looking for a wrong kind of power. It says, when I leave and the Spirit comes, you will receive power by my Spirit. That's the power that you need. That's the power that you need. 
and everybody gets it. All my followers get this. There's no hierarchy of power. There's no ambassadors, merchants, slaves. There's no caste system. Everyone's an ambassador. Everyone gets the power. Everyone's part of the kingdom if they trust in me. Our king freely distributes power to all of us. So you're never alone. You're never doing this on your own. He tells us to do this from a place of community. He says, you all will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, your city, to Judea and Samaria, to your nation, and to the ends of the earth. That's the planet you live on. You will be my witnesses everywhere because you've received power by my spirit and you will do this together. So maybe wondering again, just why God could just do this on his own. Why is God employing us to do this with him? Why is he asking broken, sinful people to do this like with him? Because that's always God's plan and God receives a lot of glory when he uses humble, broken vessels to carry the most important message that there ever was. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, God seems to do nothing by himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly in the twinkling of an eye. I think he sums that up pretty perfectly. A lot of times we don't know why. A lot of times we're like, why did God not just do that himself? You know, he can just snap his fingers and make everybody a believer. You know, he could do that and not take us through this long process of growing and, and trimming and so that we may bear fruit. A lot of times it's clear why he does these things. A lot of times it's unclear. But we know that God receives glory when he sends his perfect message through imperfect vessels. And it's for your good. So who are you and what are you here for? This is the questions. These are the two questions we have been trying to answer this whole time. And regardless of what the world says, through Christ, we have answers to these questions. We are not without answers. We're not without ability to find answers, regardless of what the world says. So who are you? Well, if you're not in Christ today, uh, these things are not necessarily true about you yet. So if this is the first you're hearing about this good King Jesus, I want to encourage you today to ask a few more questions. Ask, what does Jesus have for me? What does Jesus have for me? Jesus has eternal life starting now for you. He has citizenship in his kingdom for you. A kingdom where he distributes power evenly and freely to all and salvation to all who ask. He has eternal life for you starting now. And for those who are in Christ, sitting here with me today, who are you? You are a new creation, reconciled to God. We used to oppose him when we lived for ourselves. Now we've been made new, and we have a new allegiance. Back in our passage of verse 15, Paul says, And Jesus died for all, so that all who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. We no longer live with the purpose to just do what makes us happy or to live our truth. We live for him. We live for his purpose. We live for his truth. And in that, we are fulfilled. What are you doing here? You're an ambassador for King Jesus. 
That is what you are doing here if you are in Christ. Paul says in verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us, sinners, who are redeemed and reconciled by the cross. We're here to live out the way of King Jesus, who abandons his own desires for the sake of reconciling with others. He wants to reconcile with us so badly that he abandons his own desires and left his life at the cross. We're here to preach the gospel so that others may be reconciled with him. We're to love the world in such a way that they care what we say because they know that we care about them and we care about them being reconciled with God. We're here to make disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit with those around us. Look around. This is who you're doing this with. You're supposed to do this together so that others can experience the power of God in their everyday lives. Who are you and what are you doing here? You're a new creation reconciled to God to be his ambassadors. That's who we are and that is what we're doing here.